Mac Power Users, episode 476, Exploring the Mac App Store. Hello and welcome back to Mac Power Users. I'm your host, Stephen Hackett, and I'm joined as always by my friend, Mr. David Sparks. Hello, Mr. Hackett. How are you today? I'm doing well. I like the formality we have in this episode. Good day to you, sir. Yes. Good day. Uh, and a good day unto you. We are uh, recording this show like an hour after Apple just announced all their uh, movie star deals. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're going to put a little segment at the end because we're aware the show isn't going to come out till uh, I don't know, like almost a week after the event. So we'll put a segment at the end if you want. Feel free to listen to it or skip it. But we're going to cover that a little bit on MPU. Yeah, it, it's sort of some initial reactions, right? Like with these events, there's always a, a, a few days where more details come out, but I think we we know enough to kind of share what we think. Interestingly, neither Stephen nor I have spoke about this offline at all, so it'll be interesting to see how it all goes down. I have no idea what you think. Uh, there's like barely even anything in the doc. It's just like we're just gonna see what happens. All right, but we're, he- we're here today to talk about something else, aren't we? Yeah, we're gonna talk about the the Mac App Store and that as a venue into some of the Mac apps that we use, sort of our philosophies on buying apps and trying new ones out. Uh, We kind of touched on this with the menu bar and dock episode a few weeks ago, but we thought it was time for like a deep dive into this stuff, especially at the Mac app store, as we're going to get to, I think it's going to be increasingly important to the platform as, you know, big changes are coming towards the end of the year. Kind of a good time to check in, I think. Yeah, it's evolved a lot. I mean, we covered this on MPU years ago when it first showed up, Mm -hmm. Um, but it's changed a lot. And uh, it's been a long and windy path for the Mac App Store. Of all the Apple App Stores, this is the one that really kind of has the most interesting story, (laughs) not necessarily in a good way. Uh, We also have got some of our favorite app picks out of the App Store. We're going to talk about the types of apps that we like to buy from the App Store. We're going to steer clear largely of the ones we covered on the menu bar show, but the... uh, we got other stuff to talk about, but but I think before we get into what you can get at the App Store, I thought it'd be just kind of fun to talk about how this whole thing came into, how this thing came into existence and, sure. you know, what's happened in these years since it first showed up. Yeah. And as the resident Apple historian, I was happy <laughs> to knock out this part, this part of the, the show prep. So I had actually, honestly, David, I'd forgotten how far back the Mac App Store goes. It was introduced way back at that Back to the Mac event. Like it came out in a later version of Snow Leopards. Like it's a long time ago. Really, you know, was announced in 2010 and it finally launched in January 2011. And I remember at that time, a lot of mixed reaction to the idea. You know, it had been out on iOS and all of a sudden it looked like Apple was going to try to force iOS like into uh, what was Mac OS 10 at the time, and there's App Store stuff, and there's Linux. You know, this was around the preview of Mac OS 10 Line. It was actually the same event, and OS 10 Line had some really weird ideas in it, and they've backed off most of them now, at least a lot of them. And I just remember people kind of being a little a little nervous about it, about you know what is this going to mean? Because one thing that's so great about the Mac, especially for power users is that you can do anything to it, right? We we can run menu bar apps and you can do your own scripting and you can make your own applications you know, very, uh, in a bunch of different ways. And it's open in a sense that iOS isn't. And people, I think a lot of people saw the App Store showing up on the Mac as a way of Apple closing off the Mac to sort of 
you know, those those types of use cases. And we can see over time that's not really played out, but people were a little nervous at first, I think, at least some people. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. I, I remember uh, leading up to it, a lot of people wanted a Mac App Store. I mean, and I'm not necessarily talking about developers so much as MPU listeners. As the iOS App Store became more popular and successful, we were hearing from listeners that it said, look, I don't want to put my credit card on some bizarre website, sure. you know, and I would rather just buy this stuff through Apple. I can trust it. They love the idea of one click and it's paid for and mm -hmm. it's downloaded and installed. Um, Apple has even to this day never really solved the problem of DMG files and, and application installs. I mean, it's crazy that, mm -hmm. you know, you in 2019 can go to a friend's computer and see a bunch of uh, application um, folders on their desktop where they they're afraid to do anything with <laughs> yeah. it because they've in downloaded an app. I mean, it's nuts, sure. right? Yeah, it, it is. And the App Store's promise was, hey, we can make this as easy as it is on iOS. And and to Apple's credit, it, it solved a lot of those a lot of those problems. And I think Apple really did a good job setting the tone for the Mac App Store. So very quickly, Apple took all of their software off of store shelves, off the online store, and just said, hey, if you want something like Logic or Final Cut or Apple Remote Desktop. Or, or Aperture. Yeah, or Aperture, <laughs> rest in peace. Yeah. Or or the new version of Mac OS X, Mac OS X line, a newer shipped yeah. in the Mac App Store. You got to come to this storefront. And I think that sh was a real vote of confidence for the Mac App Store. And I think developers saw, okay, if Apple's using this, then they're serious about it. You know, sometimes Apple will announce something and you can kind of get the sense that it's it's half-hearted maybe a little bit. I did not get that sense with the Mac App Store back in 2011. Apple was very, like, deadly serious about it. Even moving in apps like GarageBand and iMovie and, and the iWork apps like Pages, Numbers, and Keynote, things that, you know, came free when you bought a new Mac, even those were showing up in the Mac App Store. And now, you know, a bunch of that stuff is free, but... uh Really bringing all of Apple software story under one roof was a real strong move at the time. Did you ever work at, when you were at the Apple store, did they have any launch Mac OS launch parties while you were there? Or was that after, before you? Were there? Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. I went, I was there as an employee for Leopard, but as a fan for like, I think Tiger and maybe even Panther. And yeah, yeah. those were, those were cool nights. You get to go to the store and if your store had a theater like ours did, you got like a demo of the new software, and then you could you could buy it at you know whatever it was six p.m. or something. And then the Mac App Store just did away with all of that, right? It's like you can just go download it the day it comes out, and and there's real benefit to that, right? You don't have to go anywhere, you don't have to um, spend as much money because getting rid of the packaging and the disc pressing and all that stuff does make things cheaper, and it means that again, it's that one click ease of use you were talking about. It made upgrading your OS a lot less scary than when you had to go and find a DVD and install it. I was like, oh, I can just do it here. And for better or for worse, it was easier for more people to do it. The other day I was uh, washing a window at the house with what's left of a tiger launch shirt. You oh, know, they no. give me a t-shirt. Yeah, murderer. Oh, you, know. you are a murderer. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I, knew, I knew you wouldn't approve, Stephen. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> I think I have my dog tag somewhere. Either Panther or Tiger, they had like dog tags you could get at the event. And uh, I've got those somewhere in here. <laughs> But the uh, you know the the thing was I I felt like 
and and really the source of the problem for the Mac App Store was Apple's success with the iOS App Store. And and when they created iOS apps, it was starting with a clean plate, saying, you know, what have we learned from all these years of making apps for the Macintosh? Like, you know, which we'll get into later, but, you know, this is the problem with DMG files, um, security issues, um, you know, people, malicious software issues. I mean, when this was happening in 2011, we were already well on our way through the, there's a lot of bad guys out there that want to put terrible software in your computer. So, mm-hmm. so they were able to design around that in a lot of ways on the iPhone and later iPad because we didn't know any better. We had never had the keyboard maestros and the hazels and the system scripting access that we had on the Mac on iOS. So it was very easy to kind of draw the line so tight that they could easily distribute relatively safe software through that iOS app store. And I feel like where they stumbled a bit was they thought that this Mac app store was an opportunity for them to reset expectations around the Mac on the same idea. I think, I think that's right. And I think it, again, some people were worried that it signaled a, a big shift. And I think Apple heard that. I think, I think they've realized that there were going to be people who would always need to do things like download open source software and compile it or write their own scripting uh, tools that would interact with things in the system. And, you know, as the as the Mac store went on over its first several years, I don't know if Apple reacted too strongly to that pushback, but the the Mac App Store definitely had a time of of neglect, I think, of a period of time of years where it didn't really improve, like the technology itself didn't improve. Uh, and on top of it, a lot of applications that were there in the beginning uh, began to leave. Some really like well-known developers said, you know, this isn't working for us. It was buggy. They had this crazy thing in 2015 that I'd forgotten about until I researched for this episode that Mac App Store apps began to fail uh, to launch. Like you would launch it and it would crash because Apple had like an expired security certificate on their end and it broke a bunch of apps for everybody. They, they, they had some, some rough times and that definitely didn't do anything to help the App Store's reputation. Do you remember when they first opened the Mac App Store, all of the think pieces and podcasts and there were so many people that were saying, oh, this is the first step. You know, because when they released it, Apple said, look, you can sell your app through your website if you want, or you can sell through us. If you sell it through us, you've got to jump through some hoops. But if you want to sell it on your own, you can do whatever you want. But then there was a bunch of people that said, oh, this is just the first step. You know, uh, just wait a year or two, and then Apple's going to shut down all those external sales. They want to force everybody through this Mac App Store. And I never really gave it much stock at the time because I thought it would just be way too disruptive and and I didn't think they wanted to take ownership of everything on the Mac. Uh, and it never really did come true. I don't even hear that anymore. No, I, th- I think people know that the the Mac App Store is there for certain types of apps. If you want other types of apps, you go elsewhere. So if you want something built by Apple, you have to go there. If you want sort of like a basic utility, you could go there. But there are still things that some of us need that just aren't there, either for business reasons, which, we can, which we're going to talk about, or for reasons like technical reasons. So a huge thing we have to talk about is sandboxing, uh, which is a, this is a complicated subject, but more or less what it does is it treats a Mac app kind of like an iOS app where it, it can't have rights to everything 
on the system. You know, an iOS app can only play in its own little space. And Mac apps were used to having access to everything on the disk, all sorts of processes in the background. And sandboxing began to cut some of those things off and whittle things down. Again, to make Mac apps better behaved and more secure, but Apple did it in a way that was uh, too strict for a lot of like well-meaning applications, right? It's, it's not like something like Transmit, which is a FTP client, was removed from the, the Mac App Store years ago. It's back now. But Transmit wasn't doing anything bad. It wasn't doing anything harmful. But by its nature, it needed entitlements that Apple couldn't grant it. And so we saw sort of a parade of developers leaving, and we see the Mac App Store itself not really doing anything new. And it was kind of a dark time for a while. Yeah. Yeah, it was. I, I felt like it was a good idea, the Mac App Store, but Apple got so aggressive and had it was so tied into this dream of we're going to have that iOS experience on the Mac that they were, uh, you know, they weren't really making something that was user friendly. Mm hmm. And we can get, we're going to, we've got it in the outline. We're going to get deeper into sandboxing, but you know, there were, th there were problems sandboxing, uh, getting information from customers. Um, and you know, they had this development pull out, but then, you know, this, you know, like every story has an arc, right? <laughs> and, uh, the last couple of years, things have got better in the Mac app store. I think this is the reason we're really doing the show is I think a lot of people have given up on it. And I'm not sure you should at this point. Yeah. So with Mojave, now, last year, Apple said, look, we're going to we're going to drastically overhaul the Mac App Store. So this means a couple of things. It's now divided into sections, which kind of like huge, you know, broad categories. So they're called uh, create, work, play and develop. And these are, you know, if you go into create and you, and you scroll around, it's a lot of apps for writing and for image editing and for working with video. You go to play and it's games. You go to develop and it's things for coding and dealing with, uh, you know, file differences. And, and it's a way to easily get to where you want to go in the App Store. The old App Store had a bunch of categories and they – some of them like weirdly overlapped. Some had barely any apps in them at all. They just weren't really uh, a good reflection of what was in the App Store. And with Mojave, with these with these sections – they are, uh, I think they're a lot more representative of what's actually there. Yeah, agreed. And it, it is better. And there are some definite benefits and still some detriments to using the Mac App Store. And we're going to talk about that uh, right after this. Today's podcast is brought to you by our friends over at 1Password. And specifically with respect to 1Password today, I would like to talk about the family sharing plan. This is something I've had in my family. As soon as they announced it, I signed up for it. And uh, we've been paying for it now a couple of years, and we just love it. Uh, with 1Password, your family safe deposit box is right on your phone, and it's shared with everyone. 1Password started out life as an application that solved that problem for you of making complex passwords uh, that are easy to track and reuse uh, on your devices. So you don't have to come up with a strong, unique password for every website. 1Password does that for you. You just remember your 1Password, you see how they did that, and then you're good. Uh, but once they brought in family sharing, it was a real opportunity for me. My kids are high school and now college age, and they're starting to do things on the internet where I think they should have better security 
than they did when they were in elementary school. So we had the family talk about 1Password and, and password security, and then I set up this account. And it's great because everybody is on this shared account. When I change the Netflix password, it just automatically populates to everybody's device. But everybody doesn't necessarily have to see all of the uh, passwords I have. I don't I don't need to share my maxbarkey.com password with my daughter in high school or the banking password. You know, you can grant permissions where and to whom you think should have them. Um, but it's just a great way to get your kids started with internet security, which I think really is something everybody needs to understand, especially young people growing up in this world. Uh, with 1Password, it helps protect your family. Uh, you've got online security by generating strong, unique passwords for everybody's online accounts. Not everything needs to be shared. Like I said, you can put it around. And when you sign up for the service, you get way more than just a license to the most recent 1Password apps. Although you do get that. You also get secure document storage. Your family gets one gigabyte of encrypted storage for documents, which you can share across and securely from anywhere. One of the things I like is that my daughter recently told me that Watchtower told her we had a problem with one of our services. She was using the app and Watchtower said, hey, guess what? This, um, this web service has been compromised. You need to update your password. It just it warmed the cockles of my heart, Stephen. Just warmed him right up. That's great. You know, and, and you get that plus 24-7 support and just the obsession that you get from the 1Password people about making the best possible software. I'm uh, real happy with my subscription with 1Password for families, and you can get it for your family too. Head over to onepasswordcom slash MPU in all caps, and you can get a discount on 1Password for your family. Check it out today and secure your family. So let's start with some benefits of the Mac App Store. I think you've mentioned the one that impacts people the most day-to-day, which is just installing apps. So you go to the Mac App Store, you hit download or purchase, and you get an app just in your application folder uh, on your, and on your launch pad if you're one of those users. Uh, and just you know a few seconds usually. You don't have to download a DMG, then you mount a volume, and then drag it into your applications folder. None of that that messiness. It's very, it is very iOS like in that yeah. way. Yeah, and and I would argue that unsurprisingly, a lot of the benefits are very user facing. I mean, a lot of stuff we're going to talk about for benefits is stuff that favors users. Uh, the problems are, are are in many ways on the developer side, but it, but as users, there, there's some real nice things. I mean, not only is it easy to install. Um, you don't have to remember the serial numbers, you know, the whole dance you go through where you go in and write it down or, or get an app like one password to save all that stuff for you. Um, with apps you buy from the Mac app store, you get a new Mac, you just literally log into the Mac app and store and you go through and click download or install for all the apps you've already purchased. It's super easy. Uh, you've also got centralized payments and software updates. And it may seem weird to, to put those things together, but I think it's important because you don't have to run around to with your debit card a bunch of different places, and you don't have to worry about, oh, is this app all the way up to date? That's all sort of taken care of by the Mac App Store. A lot of apps outside the Mac App Store have you know, auto-updating and that sort of thing, but, but sometimes they don't. In fact, an app that I use on a pretty regular basis just the other day said, oh, there's an update, and it, you know, it, it said, click to learn more. And it opened the developer's website. So I had to go and download a DMG and then override what was in the application folder. It's like, people don't need to, to deal with this. This needs to be 
more streamlined and the Mac app store kind of takes care of all of that for you. Yeah. Agreed. And the update stuff, you really can't understate because there's so many apps on your Mac that you didn't buy through the Mac app store where for whatever reason, the developer hasn't put the necessary plugins or APIs in to let you know when there's updates. And it's always shocking to me when I discover I have an app that's a couple years old and there's many updates that I've missed simply because there wasn't a way for me to know, or I had to go and affirmatively check a box somewhere. Yeah. Uh, and what's nice too about that in the Mac app store is you can even support it even supports multiple accounts. So for example, most of the stuff in the Mac app store I've bought is just through my personal Apple ID, like everything else. But there are a couple apps that Relay FM bought that Mike and I both use and you know, they're a little more expensive. So the company bought them and we share them. And if I need to update those, the Mac app store just says, Hey, I just need your password for that other account to make sure, you know, you're still you and we can update this and you can switch between accounts like you do in something like iTunes. And it's actually not that bad. It works pretty well. It works better in Mojave than it did in the previous Mac app store uh, application. But yeah. if you're in that situation where, you know, for some reason you need work and personal apps, uh, it's totally doable. You're not just locked into one Apple ID. And then there's also the advantage that these are apps that have been looked at by a third party. Um, you, know, you do get nervous sometimes when you download an app from a website. Maybe it's a developer you don't you aren't familiar with. I mean, I've been in this you know game for a long time. I know a lot of the developers that make software, but occasionally there's some new utility or something that shows up, and I go to a website. It's a developer I've never heard of before. Do I want to give them my money and credit card? But also, do I want to install their software on my computer? You never know if it's going to be doing something a little more treacherous than what it explains it's going to do. Mm-hmm. And that's not to say that's a perfect solution, right? There have been stories over the years of a Mac app or an iOS app that gets pulled from the App Store for some reason. It's like, well, you guys should have caught that the first time. It's not a perfect system, but it's way safer than uh, going to, you know, a developer123's website and <laughs> downloading a disk image that, you know, you, you may not be familiar with. I think that gives people a real peace of mind. Even in the Apple event that was record that happened this week, at one point Tim Cook talked about how all the great thing about the App Store is that they review all the apps, and he was talking about the iOS and the iPad App Store. And I was thinking to myself, do you really want to say that? Because I'm not sure how carefully you review them all. <laughs> you know? There's always room for improvement, and there, there's always yeah. stories where you know they reject an app that shouldn't have been rejected. Like it's not perfect, but it's it's better than nothing, and I'm thankful for that. Yeah. And and I do feel like you're you're in a safer place. You know, I guess that's kind of where the word sandbox comes out. Um, mm -hmm. When you go to their store and you download an app from them, especially from an unknown developer, there's just a, you know, you know that the payment's being processed through sure. Apple. And you know that someone at Apple has done some kind of review to make sure that the <laughs> yeah. app's not like slurping all your bank data down or sending your contacts to, right. you know, some other place. And for, for years now, macOS has included some security settings when you set up a computer to uh, – you can actually tell it, hey, just run software from the App Store or run software from the App Store and third-party developers. So if you want to put a Mac in a mode where you're trusting Apple 100%, you can do that pretty easily. It's in the security and privacy preferences pane. And a utility called Gatekeeper will come up if you – 
or installing something from an unidentified developer. It's just going to double check that, hey, you know, I'm just giving you a warning. This is we don't know what this is. Are you okay with proceeding? And I think that system works pretty well for most people. That someone like me, where I do know what I'm doing and I, I do install weird things sometimes, I have the flexibility to do what I need to do. But you know, someone who may not have that know-how, their Mac could be set up to uh, to be a little bit more secure, and that's that's good stuff. I mean, that just saved the bacon of a friend of mine recently because I, you know, like you, I, I help people get set up, you know, friends and family. And I'm I'm going to leave names out of this to, you know, protect the innocent, protect the guilty, really, in this case. Oh, yeah. But the, uh, <laughs> I guess you're you right. <laughs> know, when, when I go to like more novice friends and these aren't Mac Power users listeners, but I guess you should Mac Power users listeners should catch this when they're helping out their family and friends. I always turn that on for somebody that's not sophisticated. And I just tell them you buy apps from the Mac app store. And I know that they're not going to get themselves into trouble. I got a call last month from a family member who said, Hey, I'm getting this warning. I can't install an app. And I'm like, well, what app is it? He said, well, they told me my website was my computer was too slow on this website and they want me to install this app, but it won't install because I don't, you turned it off. And, we, and I said, Oh, so we, we saved your bacon because that was a malicious app that someone was trying to get you to install on your computer. So it, it like it paid off for th- for that. The, uh, the we talked about sandboxing earlier, but we do need to touch on that here. Sandboxing is a double edged sword. So it, is it all evil, Stephen? Is no, sandboxing it's not. just evil? No, no. I think a lot of people think it, that. out in the real world, it does mean that applications don't have access to things they don't need to have access to on your system. So think about your contacts database or your calendars database or even. Everything in Finder, everything on you know on your on your drive of your Mac. In the old world, in the old system, a Mac app could and sometimes would access stuff that it didn't need to. So the Apple's idea behind sandboxing, which was announced in 2012, I believe, was to start to limit those things. So if you are a calculator app, you don't need my calendars, and so we're not going to allow you to see the user's calendars. The problem with that, and this is kind of where the double-edged sword comes in, is that it wasn't a perfect system. Apple had it too restrictive. It disallowed some like really good, powerful Mac apps from working within the confines of the Mac App Store. And for a long time, that meant that those apps just weren't there. And again, Apple's been changing that, um, adding new entitlements, which is just the word Apple uses for these rights that an application can have on the system. So it, it has its... It's ups and downs, but from the user perspective, it means that you can trust a Mac app to only have access to what it absolutely needs to have access to. Uh, but from a developer perspective, it can be frustrating and limiting on, again, well-meaning applications, but ones that don't fit into Apple's ideas of what a Mac app can or should do. Those developers were sort of left out in the cold. Yeah, I feel like one of the problems was the Mac App Store showed up. And it was wide open. Like I bought Keyboard Maestro in the Mac App Store at one point. And then uh, once they started dialing in, dialing in the sandboxing, which wasn't announced until a year later, suddenly apps that were there could no longer be there. You know, And these are apps that, that were from reputable developers like Text Expander and some of these other apps. Sure. But they, they needed to work across the system. And suddenly... Uh, those apps don't work anymore in the Mac App Store, mm-hmm. and those developers get frozen out, and the users, um, when who don't know better, 
suddenly say, well, that app's not safe anymore, so should I use that app? They don't realize, no, it's just the nature of that app needs more access than Apple's willing to grant. And I just feel like they kind of botched that. And like I feel like they should have been able to give credit to developers that were reputable or or come up with a system. I, I don't know. I, I I just feel like the way they did it, I'm not sure I have the answer of how they could have done it better because I haven't given it enough thought and it's not my job. But as a critic, I can tell you, you could have done it better because it just left a lot of hard feelings and a lot of confusion for consumers. Yeah, there's this idea that's floated around over the years of a trusted developer. So someone like Smile who makes Text Expander you know, could potentially enroll in this system and Apple would know, okay, this app does things, this app doesn't conform to a sandbox, but it has, you know, a company behind it that we know and trust. And so we are going to let them be in the Mac App Store, but they can do whatever they need to do to make their application work. And I think that's a great idea on paper. I think it's extremely difficult to execute in the real world. And Wherever you cut the line of, I trust this developer, but not the next developer down on the list, wherever you cut that line is wrong. There will always be people on the wrong side. And I think that's why Apple hasn't gone down that road. Not only that, I mean, as in my day job, I represent, I'm a lawyer that represents software developers. And people asking me, they say, well, can you have our software endorse somebody else's software? Mm-hmm. Do you want to buy all the liability that comes with that? I, I know why it didn't happen, but... I do wish there was a way, and um, and but they've kind of turned around on that a bit. Um, sandboxing certainly still is something that exists out there, but they're giving us ways to have apps have more access to the system with some explicit actions by users. Um, they've um, some of the apps that were leaving the app store because of the sandboxing rules are coming back, so they must have some sort of changes there as well in in the works. Sure. And uh, I don't think, I think that they're, I think they overcorrected to begin with. And now the pendulum is swinging back a bit. I think so. And this is, you know, we're talking over years of time. This is a very slow process to change these things. As I think it should be, I think having big changes in an ecosystem like this, especially if it means apps are in or out or developers are in and out, that's confusing to users. And it's frustrating to developers who already have a lot of things on their plate to be frustrated about at times. So I, I understand why this is a process. Apple needs to do it correctly. But it's something that, again, there's a lot of moving parts here. And just because it's good for one group uh, and bad for another doesn't mean it's a good or bad decision. It just means that there's a lot to consider. During this time, we've had a significant change in man- management for the App Store. You know, Phil Schiller's running it now. I think it was Eddie Q's team before. Yes. Um, we also have to acknowledge that the Mac App Store is the second priority in terms of app stores and will always be the second priority. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't tell that to the stickers and messages app store people. They're, they're in a distant third. But yeah, uh, yeah you're right. I mean, the, the iOS app store is, I mean, just on the face of it, just like, just to be honest, like it is more important because it is so much bigger and that hurts as a, as a Mac user, but that's just the reality of it. That the Mac is a smaller, uh, less important uh, ecosystem. So things happen more slowly on the Mac and sometimes uh, way later than on iOS. If, if ever, you know, if ever. uh, Yeah. it, It is interesting that they have, one of the things they've done is they've, They've made a lot of 
big changes in the iOS app store before it, it migrated down to the Mac app store. And that could have gone the other way. They could have used the Mac app store as kind of like a testing ground, but iOS is just such a big deal. It always stands first. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. There's, there's also limitations on the business model for mm-hmm. developers. Um, upgrade pricing is a huge deal. I mean, for so long, that's how people made money in the software business. Right. So you have, you know, version three, it's out this year and version four next year adds five new features. If you already own version three, you get version four for, you know, 30% off or something. And that is just not a thing in the app stores, iOS or Mac OS. It's a new era. Apple has new ideas about software. And I think out of everything that Mac app developers have complained about over the years, rightfully so, this I think is perhaps the most painful because especially desktop software, like that's how this worked for a really, really long time. Even back in the days where you went to a store and bought like software on physical media or ordered it online and they shipped it to you, right? If you had the previous serial number, it was uh, less expensive. And there's not really a, uh, a, a way to do that in the Mac app store. Some developers have, tried to work around it. The Omni Group uh, coming to mind there where they've done some things for cross grades or, you know, uh, it's free. And then the in-app purchase is discounted if you have the old app installed. And there are ways to sort of get around it, but they all require the user to jump through hoops in the right order. And and that means it's not a real solution for everybody. And and it's not just the upgrade pricing problem. You know, it's related to that is the endorsement of the subscription pricing model. And we hear from listeners all the time that hate that. I mean, some people I've kind of got, I'm at peace with it and Mm -hmm. I subscribe to a bunch of software and that's okay. And I do, I, you know, I guess I'm biased to the sense that I'm friends with so many software developers and I've seen it, how it's made them possible for them to continue in business. And I, I think that's important, but I get, you know, the, the problem with subscription fatigue and and why that exists. And I think particularly my favorite class of apps are productivity apps. I think it's really hard for people to get past the old model, the upgrade pricing where you could say, well, there's additional features I can pay for them or I cannot pay for them and keep the old version with the features that I like Um, where, you know, that was a model that worked very well for productivity software and where Apple's in-app purchase stuff works for, um, you know, web-based services and maybe games. I think it's really hard for a lot of people to get over that with with productivity software. So it particularly helps some of my favorite categories of apps. Um, you know, another problem for software developers is you're putting a, a middleman between you and your customers. So they don't have that direct access to their customers if they want to send a newsletter out to them or whatever. They they don't do that unless the customer takes the secondary step of explicitly joining. Right, which again, from the customer perspective, is pretty great. I'm not getting email from people I don't want to hear from or I, I'm they don't have my personal data. But if you're a developer, a large part of your business includes like communicating with your customers and letting them know when there are updates or when there's a new version or there's an issue with the service. And again, that's something that cuts both ways. And again, inherited from the iOS app store, whereas on the Mac, on, on the non-app store side, you know, we install a lot of third-party applications. And, you know, the first thing it does is ask you if you want to sign up for an email list or if you're okay to receive updates. And some people like that stuff, some people don't, but it's, 
it's a change that developers have had to get used to over the years. Absolutely. Gazelle is the go-to website for buying and selling used devices. Are you thinking about upgrading to a new iPhone or maybe one of those new iPads? Gazelle will pay you for your current device. Visit gazelle.com and answer a few easy questions to get a quote. Your quote is good for 30 days, and you can lock it in at the best price before it depreciates and have time to decide on the new device you want. Shipping is free and payment is fast. You get a check in the mail, an Amazon gift card in your inbox, or direct deposit into your PayPal account. You can also shop from a variety of certified pre-owned electronics or trade devices in for cash. Give a new life to a used device. Visit gazelle.com today. What I like about Gazelle is that it's a trusted resource. It's one that I have used over and over uh, over the course of, of many years, being able to trade in old devices for cash and roll that in to something new, which, you know, a lot of us upgrade on a pretty regular basis and selling an old device can help take the pain out of that new, that new purchase uh, price. If you buy from Gazelle, you're going to get something that's certified and pre-owned. They have a huge selection, old phones, new phones, iPads. And if you want to go to the other side of the fence, uh, Android users, Samsung Galaxy phones, and a bunch of other devices for you as well. Each of these devices is fully inspected and backed by a 30-day return policy and and all are sold without a carrier contract. So it can be a great way to pick up a device. All these devices are available in fair, good, or excellent condition. They've been put through a rigorous 30-point inspection process. So you know what you unbox is going to be in perfect working order. And devices are available for support by the major carriers, AT&T, Verizon, T-Mobile, and Sprint. Or if you want something unlocked, you can do that as well. Give new life to used devices. Lock in the value of your phone and trade it in for cash or buy a certified pre-owned device for a fraction of the price of something new. Go visit gazelle.com to get started. That's G-A-Z-E-L-L.com, gazelle.com. Go check them out. I'd like to thank Gazelle for their support of the Mac Power users. All right, Steven. So we've been talking about what's good and what's bad about the App Store. Um, as users, uh, where do we see the App Store now? I mean, it's been through this windy road. Where do you use it now? Where do you not use it? That's a su- a super interesting. So obviously, any Apple software I need or want, it's got to come from there. Oh, uh, there's no choice there. <laughs> I mean, it's... Yeah, it's, it's it, right? Like, if you want uh, Final Cut, you got to get it through the App Store. Yeah. Or, or Aperture. I'm just kidding. Aperture's still gone. I know. I, I want to keep mentioning Aperture in the show for some irrational reason. It makes me sad. I, just, yeah. I, I, really, I used Aperture for a long time. It's a great app. For me, if I need something that is available both in and outside the Mac App Store, which is really the, the question, right? What do you do if yeah. an app is available both places? I still have a tendency to go outside of the App Store. I think most of this is based in the past, those years where the Mac App Store was really pretty bad and like pretty buggy, and sometimes you'd load it. It would just be blank for no reason. You had to quit the app and reopen it. I just got frustrated with it. But I feel that already. I feel that changing in me as Apple's clearly investing in it with Mojave, with this new editorial content that comes out once a week. It's only going to become increasingly important in the future. So I think a year from now, if you ask me this, I would say that I'm using it uh, more. So 
I can already tell some apps that are on this list I've downloaded pretty recently, but there's definitely a, a multi-year period where I kind of only use the Mac App Store when I absolutely had to. Yeah, I to me like simple utilities like that those those are poster children for uh, Mac App Store. They're not that expensive. It's from sometimes an unknown developer. I like the idea of paying through Apple and having the software vetted through Apple. Um, subscription-based Mac clients, you know, like Slack. I download the Slack app through the Mac App Store. Although I did discover that that actually can be a problem because there are some of the video features that are disabled because it's going through the sandbox. Um, you know, but you know, Slack, Quip, a lot of the apps that I use for kind of um, web-based services that have a local app, I just download them to the Mac App Store, and it makes it really easy easy to add them. If I have a new Mac or if I have to rebuild my Mac, I just go through and easily add them. Um, but for me, the, the trouble is just like you said, it's that category of app where traditionally it was something that was on an upgrade path. Uh, I would like include higher end productivity software for this. Uh, the poster child for this for me is ScreenFlow and the Omni apps. Uh, I use ScreenFlow to pay for my shoes. Uh, if you buy ScreenFlow, a new version, it's $100. They have a Mac App Store version. It's $100 every year or two when they have an update. Um, they do kind of like jump through some hoops to try and make it possible to upgrade from the Mac App Store, but it's a pain in the neck. Whereas if you just go to the developer and buy it directly, you get the upgrade pricing. They've got your name on a list, so you get an email before they come out with a new version. You can often even get a further discount to just sign up and pay for it before they even release it. And, you know, that's the kind of stuff I like. The Omni apps are the same way. Um, I bought Omni Plan through the Mac App Store, and I was able to upgrade it. But uh, in the future, I think I would have done that, preferred to do that through the Omni Group. All that being said, a bunch of these developers are starting to look at subscription plans, too. So I don't know how it all plays out in the future. But to me, the number of apps that I buy outside the App Store are pretty small currently. And I guess the other thing is I'm not saying is I don't buy that many new apps on the Mac. I don't yeah. either, honestly. I mean, looking through these and even I, so I kind of compared my app store list to what's in my applications folder. And like things don't get added very often. It's really because it's a, a really mature platform. And for me, a platform for work. And so I know what I need for work and I don't go exploring as often as I may on my iPhone or iPad. Yeah, and then like you and I do kind of a lot of production stuff with the audio for the podcast and the videos that we do and like things like audio hijack and, and things that just cannot exist with the sandboxing rules, I would buy outside the app store too. Mm -hmm. But I mean, it, it's, but that's not really for everybody. I think for a lot of folks, you can get most of what you need. I mean, Microsoft has brought office into the app store. That's yeah. a recent thing. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. I think this is definitely something that, you know, the way we use it or the way a lot of our listeners use it may be different from other people. And, you know, someone who is less familiar with, hey, I can, you know, I can go out to the web and get software, like the Mac App Store may be all they know. And, and there is enough there, like you said, for most people's needs now. And then the other thing, and you, depending on which listener you talk to, I'm either a shell for developers, or I am sympathetic to developers. But mm -hmm. I, I like the idea of not giving 30% to Apple when I'm buying an expensive app from a developer that worked really hard on it. So buying directly from their website means they get the money. And I'm okay with that too. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so what have we purchased? I, I thought it'd be fun to start out talking about 
our first purchases. You know, if you scroll all the way down, it's, it's actually a more interesting question on the iPhone than it is in the <laughs> Mac App Store. Yeah. But, but we both did it. We scrolled all the way down and we, we came up with our list. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so I'm looking at mine and the, the oldest five, it's really interesting how many of these have stuck around and how many just aren't in the app store anymore. Either they've gone away or they're just not updated anymore. Yeah. Uh, but my first one was Twitterific, the, the Mac Twitter client. I used it sure. before the app store. I don't use it anymore, but uh, it's sitting there in my, in my list way down there at the bottom. Ollie the bird just looking at me. Yeah, I had Twitter, the, the the Mac Twitter app from mm-hmm. Twitter. Of course, that's no longer in existence. Mm-mm, no, it's gone. I also, <laughs> I also had Evernote, which I don't use anymore, but that was in the first downloads. <laughs> that's that's great. Uh, the uh, the one for me that uh, I was sort of surprised to see was Text Wrangler, which is made by Barebone Software, sort of the the little sibling to BB Edit. Uh, I don't use Text Wrangler anymore. I I sort of graduated to BB Edit for those needs. Well, they don't even, I don't think they even distribute Text Wrangler anymore. The way they do it is if you buy the license, you get extra features. But I think uh, the, okay. ba- the bare bones, you'll see how I did that version of text. Ah, that's good. Tech of uh, BB Edit is, is essentially Text Wrangler. Yeah. Yeah. I, I downloaded one called Swack It, which was a stupid <laughs> app to tell you whether or not you needed to wear a jacket. Mm-hmm. It also <laughs> rhymes know. with if you smash my first initial and last name together. So was, yeah, so maybe fun. that meant something. I don't it know. It is a sign that I was I was to, yeah. to be in your life. The Kindle app, which is hilarious to me, I'm not sure I've ever opened it on any Mac. I don't have it installed anymore, but I guess the thought was I could read Kindle books on my laptop. That never really worked out for me, but it's there. I downloaded too. Same thing. I'm like, yeah. well, it's there. I have some <laughs> Kindle books. It's, Might as well. That's cool, I guess. Um, also had a, a game that I had totally forgotten about but really loved called The Incident. It was this platformer and you had to like jump around and not get squished by things falling from the sky it yes. was amazing was this like game. retro art uh so I, I ran that for a long time yeah and i had one called quick cursor which allowed you i believe to drop a cursor gosh i don't even remember what the app did but i remember really liking it mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I, th- I think what it did was it, it allowed you to jump out of like a web service mm-hmm and there's somebody right now banging their dashboard because they remember sure. exactly what it did. But it, it allowed you, I think, to like use BB Edit as a text editor from any other. I don't know. I, you know what? I'm just going to stop. But- I, I, found, I found an article on Mac Stories in 2015 saying that it was dead uh, due to sandboxing. So yeah, it was a good rest app, in though. rest in peace, I guess. Uh, the last one for me was an app called Flare, which was a photo editor by the Icon Factory. Yep. That it was pretty simple. It was it was of its time. Um, it's actually still around, uh, it's like 10 bucks. Uh, but the first version, you could add filters to photos and the, the filters, at least even on their current website look pretty dated now. It's sort of like the early Instagram feeling heavy filter stuff, Yeah. but it was a a fun way on the Mac to add some excitement to your, uh, to your photos. Yeah. Like Icon Factory is one of those trusted developers to me. It's like, I I bought Flare too, because Icon Factory made it. And I'm like, well, let me see how this works. And I I used it actually quite a bit. And then that was my exploratory phase with filters, let's just say. Went a little crazy looking back at some of the pictures I made with that app. (laughs) They don't age well. What about how much, what's the most money you've thrown at the Mac App Store? Uh, They go to Apple App. So Final Cut Pro at $299. Uh, is the most expensive software I've purchased through the Mac App Store. Maybe the most expensive software I've ever purchased if you don't count like the $57 every month to Adobe, like but outright purchase. Probably the most. 
Uh, and that's followed up by Logic Pro at one ninety nine. I bought the original Aperture in a box, and I think it was three hundred dollars. Then that's about probably about right. Yeah, yeah. And then like I looked at, I remember I had friends that had Final Cut. I couldn't afford it. It was like a thousand dollars or something to buy Final Cut originally. Yeah, it came, I, I have the box. It was like multiple discs and all these books, and it came in like a like a twenty pound box of stuff. It's like, well, at least I got something for my money that. If this goes sideways, I can use this as a boat anchor. A, a friend of mine had the original Logic with that same thing, came in a box with like multiple books of manuals, and it had a USB key. He had to have the USB key plugged in mm-hmm. to his Mac in order for it to work. Yeah, so I like you, I, I've used both Final Cut and Logic. I'm, uh, I've purchased both of those apps. And not only do they help me, my kids are super creative and they use them all the time too. And that's kind of nice when you buy that, those apps, you know, getting to that family plan, we did not have to buy multiple copies of Final Cut. My kids have it installed on their laptops and they're good. And that's nice. Um, I have spent big money also in the photo apps. Um, I've never been, I've never been in the Adobe camp for whatever Mm -hmm. reason. But I bought Pixelmator Pro. I bought Pixelmator before that. I also bought the Affinity apps, although I think Pixelmator Pro, it just works for my brain better. Sure. Um, And it's nice. Those apps are not cheap. I think they were like in the $60 range when I bought them. But I I get my money's worth out of them easily. What about things that we have purchased and still use. So our early list, you know, included some apps that aren't around anymore. And if I scroll through mine, there's a bunch that I could download, which means they're not currently on my machine. For me, this list was actually a lot shorter than I thought it would be. Uh, But um, let's start with some of yours. Okay. Well, I broke mine up, um, you know, because I felt like there's different, you know, getting back to the idea of what are the types of apps I buy on the Mac app store. Mm -hmm. Utilities is, is a big group of them. And then there's the bigger apps that I use, you know, for getting work, the productivity type apps. Um, then I have, I felt like there's Mac clients, you know, like I was talking about earlier, clients for services I use and then games. So uh, when I started look, looking at the apps that I use every day, those were the ones that made the list. So I just to talk through some of the utilities first, I guess. Um, there's an app called Copied, which works on iOS and Mac. And it's a universal clipboard throughout the apps. I know we already have that with um, built into the operating system, but copied is just way more powerful. It, like as a clipboard history that works between all the platforms, you can save like bits of text that you reuse there. Uh, I just really like the way that app works and how useful it is. So I bought copied in the Mac app store. That's one I use all the time. It's it's copied is really good. And I, and, and I was mad because I forgot to mention it on the uh, menu bar show because that's it's one of the menu bar apps too. And, that's it. and I will say too, we have links to all of these in the show notes. So the show notes are going to be really long this week. I've divided them out into sections so you can kind of follow along. But uh, <laughs> maybe some scrolling to do <laughs> to get through the list. Yeah. For me, you know, things in the Mac App Store that I use daily, the the most used Mac App Store app I have on my Mac is Tweetbot 3. So I switched to yeah. Tweetbot on the Mac whenever it came out, you know, years ago, and I use it on the phone and it, it syncs mute filters and, and your reading placement and your lists and everything. Uh, Tweetbot is sort of how Twitter works in my, in my mind. So I've been a big fan for a long time. I, I have to make an embarrassing admission. Um, so for, I've been using Tweetbot also forever since it first really got good. 
despite the fact that the icon sometimes scares me, depending on what version you're using. Um, <laughs> but the, uh, but you know, just about a month ago, I'm like, you know, I should really get a better idea of the Twitter experiences. Twitter wants us to use it. You know, they're made all these changes. So for like a month, I used the Twitter app on on my iPhone. And then on my Mac, I would just log into the Twitter website. And I found both experiences to be so far inferior. I, I don't, even after a month, I still don't entirely understand what the point of the Twitter app is on the iPhone. I don't, I don't like it either. I, I mean, I'm used to using Twitter in such a different way from traditional, by using traditional Twitter apps mm-hmm. that it just, doesn't make sense to me. And I, I don't even get the point of why they've made the decisions they made. I mean, I'm not a dummy. I, I understand how it works. I just don't understand what the point of it is. And uh, so, so I was really happy the other day to put TweetBob back on my home screen. Uh, as far as some utilities that I use, um, you know, a pretty regular basis, we talked about screens uh, on the Mac mini episode, but it's a really nice VNC and remote connection tool. Uh, I use it pretty often to get to my Mac mini or to the Mac mini server at relay, or just like sometimes in my office, my wife's like, Hey, you know, do you have all those photos from the weekend? And I could just log into her iMac or her MacBook air, excuse me, and, you know, put them on the desktop or put them into photos for her. Uh, So screens is really handy. And then another one, I was so glad to see this on your list as well is Mac tracker, which is this little application. It runs on iOS as well. And you just open it up, and it has the history of every Apple product ever divided by a year. So you can see what is everything that came out in 1994, and you can see all the beige machines. Or I want to see all the Emacs, and I can see, okay, they had five models. These were the names. These were the differences. This is invaluable in my Apple history work. And we spoke about that last time about how I'm using Evernote to keep up with what I produce there. Well, Mac trackers where a lot of those details come from because it's really well organized and getting this from the internet piece by piece would be a nightmare. And Mac tracker puts it all together. I, I like that. Like you're the one person in the world that this is mission critical for. Yes. I donate <laughs> yeah. to the developer. It's free. And he's like a, a tip jar. And every once in a while, I just go by and, and drop 40 bucks in. I'm like, thank you for making my life better. Now they make the same app for iOS, but I feel like Mac tracker needs to run on a Mac yeah. and, yeah. and you left out the best feature. You know what the best feature is? The sounds, the startup sounds. Yes. Yes. Good. good for you. The startup chimes. You can listen to the startup chimes. I can go down memory lane and listen to the startup chimes from my old Macs. And right now I'm smiling ear to ear. It's so stupid. But I love the startup chimes in Mac Tracker. The best one was some of the uh, crash sounds. That's great. I mean, on the on the subject of utilities, just I'm going to throw a couple out there because sure. we we can't go forever. But Carrot Weather, great app. I like to have the weather. I like Carrot Weather's attitude. It's in my menu bar. Mm-hmm. Another one I left out of the menu bar show, so I snuck in here. There's one called Tapes that was I think they were a sponsor of Mac Power users like a long, long time ago, and um, it's just a simple screencast utility, and. Uh, this one also goes in menu bar. I didn't talk about it on that show because I don't run it all the time. I only run it when I need it. But you can just outline a section of the screen and record that section of the screen. And then it then you can send the video immediately to a recipient. So like if you've got 
uh, you know, a parent that doesn't understand how to archive an email or something really easy that would take a long time to explain if you were to write it out. But if you just recorded yourself doing it and sent it to them, um, this is a very, very lightweight screencasting app that makes it possible for anyone to make a really quick, short screencast and send it off. I use it to send bugs to app developers when I'm testing their software. Sometimes when I get a question from a reader or a listener, I'll just make a quick tape and send it to them. Just a great little app. And a, to me, that's kind of a perfect example of a Mac App Store app. Yeah, so so many of these, like there's a real pattern here. Like an app that does one or two things, but does it really well. Like that's some of my favorite Mac software. And honestly, a lot of what's in the Mac app store falls into those categories, I think. Yeah. Another one that kind of works like that for me is Wi-Fi Explorer. And there's a ton of apps out there that will measure your Wi-Fi, but I've just been using Wi-Fi Explorer. I bought it in the Mac app store. I don't know how long ago. And like you go on the laptop, turn it on. As you move around the house, you see where your Wi-Fi is working and where it's not working and it solves a problem. Um, it's also great if you're at a friend's house and you use it. It makes you look like you really know what you're doing, even if you don't. <laughs> so much data. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's awesome. Yeah, that, that's great. I have used that as well. Uh, with, uh, like a family member moved. I'm like, I don't have Wi-Fi in my living room. It's like, well, let's see how bad it is and you know, yeah. Yeah, get you set up with something. Um, uh, another sort of uh, utility-like app that I use from the Mac App Store is Daisy Disk, which tells you what's taking up space on your hard drive or your solid state drive. And it's really visual. So you can say, oh, this directory is taking up a lot of space and you click into it. Okay, it's this subfolder. And then you realize that, you know, there's 12 gigs of video footage you forgot you had stored someplace funny. And it lets you remove it or let you keep it. And it's just a nice way. And I think more powerful than than Apple's built-in tools for managing a drive that's, you know, filling up and you don't quite understand why. Those guys sponsored Mac Power Users, I think even before there was a Mac App Store. Uh-huh. And they're really nice. And and the thing I love about it is the the effort they put into the design of the app. I mean, so many of those disk space apps are just ugly. And Daisy Disk kind of makes it fun. Yeah, I kind of want a t-shirt with one of those graphs on it. You know, it looks yeah. so cool. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, uh, I'll, I'll give one more shout out to a, a, a utility that really changed the way I work is Solver, which is a calculator app, but it's also sort of a document app. So an uh, example that I use every month, I have to work out the profit from Relay FM so Mike and I can get paid. And so I have you know what's in the bank and what we owe various people at any given time. And what I love about it is I can do my calculations, but then I have text interspersed in all of that explaining what each figure is and where it comes from. And when you're dealing with something like, you know, uh, you know, a, 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 and it's a simple math problem. Right? It's just subtraction, but I need to know what each of those numbers is, and sometimes I need to know each each one of those numbers are months later. It's like, oh, what happened that month? I need to go look, and it's just really brilliant. Again, on the Mac and iOS, and it's something that I use all the time, and it really has made a, a certain set of tasks that I have a lot 
a lot easier and honestly more enjoyable because again, it's really well designed. It's very clever. Steven, I got to tell you what just happened while you were talking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm looking at my window. Is there another possum? It's not, it's not no, my but fault. It's, it's, it's more wildlife. <laughs> I swear. There's a red tail hawk that has been circling over my house the whole time we've been recording this show. Mm-hmm. And he just dropped out of the sky and yanked a rattlesnake out of my front yard. <laughs> what? I thought, I, where do you live? <laughs> you gotta come see my house, man. I I can't believe it. I cannot believe that just happened right in front of me. If people think, oh well, you know, David lives in California, Disneyland's right there. He must live in like the like the city, like a very urban. Like you, you ride a bike everywhere. Like super cool guy. And they hear that I'm from Tennessee, and they probably wonder, does he have indoor plumbing? Yeah, and. I, I don't have any snakes getting eaten by birds in my yard. Like, what is happening over there? Yeah, I live in the suburbs. I, honestly, I live in the suburbs next to a park. So there you go. Like a national park. Anyway. That's great. Uh, anyway, well, I'm glad that the rattlesnake is no longer in my front yard, too. Saves me a call. I can't believe that just happened. That's amazing. <laughs> I don't know if we keep it in or not, but man, that was, that was amazing. Uh, oh, that's definitely staying in. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by our awesome friends over at Luna Display. They are the makers of the only hardware solution that turns your iPad into a wireless display for your Mac. That means you'll have a second display that's super portable with basically zero lag and gorgeous image quality. So you get the Luna display, you plug it in the back of your Mac, and you just create a connection. You run the app on the Luna display, and you're good to go. I use it all the time. It has become my second screen for all the recording gizmos and dials we use when we make the Mac Power Users. I'm looking at it right now, telling me how long we've been recording and checking my levels. But I can also use it just to have as additional reference off to the side. I I really like that. Uh, You plug in the small bit of hardware, and you're good to go. And it all works over the Wi-Fi. But uh, if you're a busy person, you might be traveling without a Wi-Fi connection. No worries. You can also connect via USB. It's super simple to get set up, and you'll love that extra screen real estate. Luna Display is a complete extension to your Mac. It supports external keyboards, as well as Apple Pencil and touch interactions. It basically turns your Mac into a touchscreen device, which is kind of fun as well to play around with. And the all-new Liquid Video Engine brings significantly reduced latency and faster screen refresh rates. Listeners of Mac Power users can get an exclusive 10% on Luna Display. Just go to lunadisplay.com and enter code POWER at checkout. That's lunadisplay.com and promo code POWER, P-O-W-E-R, at checkout. Go there now, upgrade your setup. You're going to love it. Once again, that's lunadisplay.com, promo code POWER to get 10% off. Our thanks to Luna Display for their support of the show and all of Relay FM. So we've talked about some utilities, but what about some, I guess, bigger apps is kind of the wrong way to think about it. But for lack of a better word, uh, some bigger apps that you've uh, picked up at the Yeah, well, I was talking earlier about the art-related apps, you know, um, and I've gone all in with those and I've been buying them from the Mac App Store from the beginning. Part of it is that Pixelmator that they just made that their business model, and I think it's it's it served them pretty well. Um, but you know, there there's other ones as well. Um, uh, Paprika, which is a menu managing app, I've gone all in with that. MindNode, I use all the time. Yes, it's very, uh, I've been in in MindNode a good bit over the last couple of weeks for something, and it's uh, it's so good to be able to just. You can do it all with the keyboard and just build out these mind maps really quickly, kind of without without thinking what the app is doing, right? Just sort of the keyboard shortcuts all make sense. It's, it's and, so good. And the nice thing about that is on a 27-inch iMac, it gives you a lot of room to be creative, you know? 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it's a sort of an infinite scale, right? You can just make the document bigger and bigger yeah. and bigger. And it just, it and never that just works with my brain for some reason. I, I find mm-hmm. that a, a very good place to start when I'm working on a new project. And then there's these categories of apps that I would call bigger than utility apps, but didn't really have a home in my life before the Mac App Store. And one of the ones that really stands out for me there is Fantastical. Uh, it's a calendar app, but it's also, you know, this amazing par- date parser. But, but they all, I mean, they, they turned it into a big boy calendar app over the years as well. And that's something I buy in the Mac App Store. Um, I, I have bought a few of the Omni uh, Group apps there just to kind of try it out. And then there's apps mm-hmm. like my production app. For so long, I made my books in iBooks Author, which is you can only get something you only get in the Mac App Store. Yeah, it's there still, somehow still. Uh, yeah, I looked. It's number 114 on the top list. Makes me sad. What have they done to you, my friend? What have they done to you? <laughs> That's still too many people yeah. suffering. Uh, one that I use almost every single day is day one. I've gotten it in the app store. They have a subscription service now that plugs into it, but it is one that um, it may have been Mac app store only for a while. Maybe it still is, but uh, one that I, I picked up there and it, they just had a big update to the Mac app just a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, the Mac apps were downloaded and I opened it. It's like, oh, you're new. Look at this uh, new goodies. So day one is it's on my dock. It's one I use uh, all the time. It's interesting to me because some apps to me just feel like they're Mac app store apps. Day one is a great example of that. I don't know why that is. I'm glad I'm not the only one who thinks that because that, that doesn't make any sense really, but it's, I, I think there's something, something to it. Um, uh, one good sort of really powerful app that I, I'm not sure how many people know about. It's kind of a, a specific thing. Is called Xscope uh, by the Icon Factory, and Xscope lets you measure things on your screen. And what I mean by that is, say that you have uh, 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 some sort of pieces of you know artwork, and you need to know how wide is this section of this artwork in pixels. Uh, well, it has tools just for that. This is extremely helpful if you are bad at CSS like I am, but you write your own CSS for your blog. It's like, oh, this thing doesn't line up. It's off by 10 pixels. I got to go find why that is. And I save the CSS and reload the web page. Okay, now it lines up. Lots of little sub-utilities within Xscope to measure parts of interface design, parts of web design. And it's not one that I use very often, but it's the only thing I've come across that solves this sort of problem on the Mac. It's it's really yeah, pretty and cool. that's like the perfect definition of a Mac App Store app. You know, it's something that mm-hmm. you don't necessarily use every day, solves a very specialized problem, and it's just sitting there on your Mac waiting to help you. And I, I would second the endorsement of Xscope. I use it as well. Not often, but when I do mm-hmm. use it, it sure is handy. <laughs> yeah, it's the perfect tool for the situation that comes up. You know, every once in a while. I, I don't know how the show gets better. I just watched a hawk murder a snake. We do have some more stuff to talk about. <laughs> uh, I, I'm I'm curious uh, what uh, when we look at purchasing an app. We talked about in the Mac App Store and outside of the Mac App Store, but there is uh, another option in Setup, and I, I wonder what you think how Setup f- figures into all this conversation. Yeah, it, it really has changed my thinking a lot. I signed up for Setup early. Um, and it's kind of, I, you know, I hate to say this cause it's like the term, you know, the Netflix of, right. But it's the Netflix of Mac apps and, <laughs> uh, the gang at Setup has put together over a couple of years now, a very compelling 
story. You know, if you go and check it out, setup.com. Um, there, you know, I always have to disclaim because we've been on the air so long. Setup, uh, the company behind Setup is the same company that is behind Clean My Mac, and they're the ones that sponsored the MPU meetups in Chicago a few years ago. So, you know, they've been nice to the show over the years, but. But the reason I subscribe is because I get so much great software out of it. Like, I like to use Ulysses. Well, because I've got a setup subscription that pays for my Ulysses subscription. But it's the kind of thing where once you subscribe to setup, uh, you've got access to everything there. So you find yourself downloading applications that you wouldn't normally buy. But since you've already subscribed, you might as well check it out. And I find apps all the time in there that I like to, you know, to play with. Mm-hmm. Like iStat Menus is one I bought for years. I don't buy it anymore because I just got a subscription to it. Um, the uh, you know the stuff like like uh, Clean My Mac and Gemini, I get those now. They've got apps in so many different categories, and it's an interesting uh, contrast to the Mac App Store, I guess, because when you go into the Set App Store, you already own the app. I mean, you've got ac- you just have to download it. You're already paying for it. So if you want it try it. Mm-hmm. And I do find sometimes I download apps and I, I don't like them or for whatever reason I find I don't use them. But the the list of apps that I do depend on for set app has grown to a large enough list that it justifies the expense. Yeah. And that's really, I think, where it shines is that, oh, I need a tool that does this. You know, say something like you're looking for a markdown yeah. editor. You know, there's a bunch of options, right? Uh, and if you're in some, if you're in set app, you can see, okay, here are a few programs that you know could could fit the the bill and you don't have to worry about oh this one has a trial this one is paid up front this one is subscription only i don't want to get stuck with the subscription if i don't want it it lets you it gives you freedom to choose and i think that's really what makes it so compelling is that you're not you're not stuck with something right if it doesn't work for you you can just remove it and try something else and that's that flexibility doesn't really exist anywhere else hardly at all yeah and just to, i mean just to name a few like you talked about a markdown app Marked. Brett Terpstra's Marked is on setup. You know, mm-hmm. you can get it once you subscribe. Uh, but, you know, b- apps we talk about all the time on the show, Bartender, Better Touch Tool, BusyCal. I mean, it, it's a long list of apps I've got installed here. Um, PDF Pin, you know, one of our sponsors. Um, screens, the app that you, when you were talking about you downloaded Screens from the Mac App Store, I was saying to myself, I don't think I bought that in the Mac App Store. Where did I get that? And now <laughs> yeah. I realize. I got it as part of my setup, you know, so uh, it's really some, if you're into our trip mode, that's another one I use all the time. It, it goes, and we talked about that app in the uh, menu bar show. So uh, if you're someone who likes to kind of experiment with software and, uh, uh, and check this stuff out, uh, I would recommend at least uh, try for a month, you know, just see what, what you like. It's funny talking about that in context of a show based on the app store, but I thought we should at least include the point because it is, it really is the it is the alternative app store at this point. Yeah, absolutely, and has a lot of stuff that is uh, you know maybe a little off the beaten path, but really useful if if it scratches your itch. And don't feel bad about it. I think sometimes users feel bad. They're like, well, if I get that, is the developer not making money on it? You know, is that you know are they taking advantage of these guys? I I'm friends with some of these developers, and they all tell me they're very happy mm-hmm. with their participation in setup. Yeah. So they wouldn't be there if it wasn't working for them. Yeah. So, and you know, so it works and, um, that's another one worth checking out. We we've alluded to this a couple of times, but it's, it feels like the future of the Mac app store is 
is changing. You know, I think it's going to, it has a bright future. I did not think that four years ago. Just, I just didn't. Yeah, me either. Uh, you mentioned Phil Schiller taking over from Eddie Q. That happened at the end of 2015. Phil Schiller is a fan favorite. I think out of the Apple executives, a lot of developers have uh, a positive view of Phil Schiller. He's been the face of the company for a long time in terms of keynotes and announcements. So consumers, at least kind of plugged in consumers, know who he is too. And I think he's done a good job. You know, the the editorial stuff that's happening it happens daily in the iOS app. It happens weekly in the the Mac uh, app store, but Apple has a team of people going through the app stores, putting collections together, writing articles about apps, interviewing developers about their apps. And it could be a great way to discover new stuff. And it, it makes the app store a destination. And that's really what they want it to be. They want you to come back and see what new content they have. And that, you know, that being in the Mac app store is really a good thing. It's helping surface some of these apps that or just on a list somewhere, and now you can click through there and say, oh, I didn't know about this, but turns out this looks like it could solve the exact need I have. And that's really powerful, and it gives developers an opportunity to be in front of more eyeballs, and that's a really good thing. Yeah, agreed. And and it's starting to show because developers are coming back. You know, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Transmit is back in the Mac App Store. Uh, Office 365, you can, I, I've been an Office 365 subscriber for some time. I haven't even gone in yet to figure out if I can, da- I guess you can download the apps from the app store. I don't know if that means you have to purchase it through Apple. I, I should know the details of this. I don't, but, but um, it's nice that you can get it there now because it's kind of a pain in the neck to go to the Microsoft website and download the package and sure. deal with all that. And I, I'm not even going to mention the fact that I hate that the Microsoft software makes me update the updater every time I want to update. <laughs> that's a, that's a real Microsoft move. <laughs> yeah. See how it did that? I didn't even mention it. Yeah, it's weird. I, I didn't hear anything. Uh, and BB Edit, which we've mentioned a couple times, BB Edit is like a whole world unto itself and what it can do. And uh, BB Edit and Transmit and Office 365 are actually all... in introduced at WWC last year saying, hey, these are coming back to the App Store. BB Edit uh, was reported in February that their work was finished to be sandbox compliant. So, you know, that should be in the store, I would assume, any time now. So big, you know, important Mac apps coming back is a really good sign. It's a sign that Apple is listening to developers. They're adjusting the sandboxing to make some of these more complex apps work, but without giving up the security benefits and all the things, other things we talked about that make the Mac App Store good. And none of that is to mention uh, that Marzipan apps are coming. So Marzipan is yeah. the code name, but <laughs> later this year, if rumors are to be believed, developers are going to be able to put iPad apps on the Mac. So we see this in Mojave with like Apple News and Home and a couple others, but there could be a, a sort of another, you know, gold rush in the Mac App Store of new software coming to the Mac. And Apple hasn't said that those apps are App Store only, but I would be shocked if, if it works any differently. I think they're... I'll bet you a nickel right now they are. Yeah. Yeah. I'd bet a lot more. <laughs> it's it's definitely going to be in the App Store. Yeah. And I think that's why Mojave got a new App Store was to kind of get people back on Team App Store, you know, give it a year to be really good. And then you know, assumingly later this fall, when these apps are to show up, the app store will be a place that people like again, and it won't be the same crufty old Mac app store that was there for years and years. So I would imagine in a couple of years, if we revisit this, the number of apps we've downloaded and installed from the Mac app store will only go up. I already have a list. I wrote it for uh, Club Mac Stories a couple months ago, 
a list of iPad apps that I want on the Mac. And I came up with, you know, six or seven that I, like I will install them the day they're available on the Mac. And that that will make the Mac App Store more valuable to me and I think to a lot of other people. Let me see if I can guess a couple. I, I would imagine okay. there'd be a category of them that are like content delivery, like a Netflix app or um, like a YouTube app or something like that. Is yeah. Let me let me see. Let me pull up this column. Uh, I don't know if I had much of that. So I had Ferrite, which is a a uh, recording iP- studio. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like a, a podcast yeah. editing tool on the iPad. Um, and I would just like I would straight up switch to that <laughs> on the Mac if it uh, when it out of Logic really yes. Wow. Ferrite is really great. I just don't like editing on an iPad. Yeah. And Logic has a lot of stuff I don't need. Ferrite has everything I need and not much that I don't. Well, I hope that happens because I just want to talk to you about it. Yeah. No, if that happens, we're going to do uh, a big episode on it. Overcast, which, you know, probably on a lot of people's list to have a, 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 a full featured podcast client. Yeah. I think that the category of media delivery is going to be very popular. Yeah. I, I think so, too. Uh, you mentioned Carrot Weather. I have this on this list as well because the Carrot Weather Mac app is not as good as the iOS app. I would love to see that uh, full featured app show up on the Mac with you know its beautiful design and its snark and the radar and everything. I mentioned uh, Todoist, which is a uh, task manager that I've used in the past. Their Mac app is just a web view. And it's like, well, just bring the iOS app over. It, th- that will be better than the web view uh, on its own. And the final one was... <laughs> I, I'm not. I'm not a gamer. I don't play games. But they ported Roller Coaster Tycoon to the iPad and like the original one. If that shows up on the Mac, I'm going to lose my job because that's all I'm going to do is build roller coasters on my iMac Pro. <laughs> I found the original Donkey Kong on Nintendo Switch, and this nice. is the the one I used to feed quarters to. Mm-hmm. Like I don't know, early '80s. It was <laughs> man. I I'm every night. I'm I'm in for one game of that. Yeah, it's fun. It's fun to see those things. Uh, there's some interesting. It, I, I haven't really planned it out. I didn't expect to talk about this today, but just looking at my iPad, there's a couple very unique iPad productivity apps. You know, like Liquid Text and some of those others. I would like to see how they translate to the Mac. I think it would be interesting. But I, I do think there's going to be a boom of new Mac apps with with this Marzipan thing. Sure. I mean, it's not a rumor. Apple has said they're doing it. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. Um, it's coming. The question is how extensive will it be? Is it going to be something where like you can only get like a media delivery app, like a Netflix, or is it going to be something where you can take a liquid text and turn that into a Mac app? So, uh, and you know, how is it going to be worth developers time or not? You know, all, there's a whole bunch of questions around it, but I do expect like Steven, uh, we'll have a lot more apps that we've downloaded from the Mac app store a year from now. Absolutely. Uh, I firmly believe that. So I feel like we, we've, we've talked about the Mac App Store. It's, it's a vibrant part of the Mac ecosystem. I think one that's just becoming more important with time, which is a really surprising to me because it really felt like it was just going to be on the sidelines forever. But I think it's got a bright future, David. Me too, brother. Me too. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you by Away. Away makes smart premium suitcases, so your luggage doesn't have to cost more than your plane ticket. And what do you need most while you're traveling? The answer is simple. You need more battery power. If you buy an Away suitcase, you can charge all of your devices while you travel. Both sizes of their carry-on feature USB ports with a battery large enough to charge your phone five times from that single battery pack. 
If you go to awaytravel.com slash MPU, you can browse Away's suitcases. They all feature premium German polycarbonate, which is unrivaled in strength and impact resistance, but still really lightweight. You can choose from over 10 colors and five sizes. The carry-on, the bigger carry-on, the medium, the large, or the kids carry-on for the smaller travelers among us. And Away cuts out the middleman, so you can get first-class luggage at coach prices. Away suitcases have a patent-pending compression system, which is great if you're like me and you're an overpacker. I just I got to take everything with me. You can compress that stuff down and squeeze it all in. And it moves on these super smooth four 360-degree uh, spinner wheels. You can just you can dance with your suitcase if you want through the airport. People might look at you, but the Away suitcase can do it. Away's carry-ons are compliant with all major U.S. airlines while still maximizing the amount you can pack with TSA combination locks built right in. They also feature a removable, washable laundry bag so you can separate your clean clothes from your worn ones. So my wife and I have several Away suitcases. We were just on spring break with the kids, and we actually used our carry-on as one of the kids' suitcases. Super lightweight. They could manage it. It's on those wheels so they can move it around. And I tell you that laundry bag is so great when you're traveling with a family. We actually all used it. And then that just is where where all the dirty clothes were. We came home a few days later and we just knew what had to go in the wash. Really, really simple. Away believes in the quality of their products. That's why they offer a lifetime guarantee. If anything breaks, they'll fix or replace it for life. They also have a 100-day trial with no questions asked return policy with free shipping on any order within the lower 48 states of the U.S. So go to awaytravel.com MPU and use the code MPU at checkout and you'll get $20 off any of their suitcases. That's awaytravel.com MPU and the code MPU for 20 bucks off. Thank you so much to Away of their support of this show and Relay FM. So Apple had an event this week. They did. The Mac Pro. Oh, it's not the Mac Pro. (laughs) No. It's weird that they showed all the Apple hardware and they said, this is what we usually do. We're not doing any of that today. I kind of like that Tim opened with that. It was a way to set the stage, so to speak. Like, this is what this is about. And of course, they had all the product releases the week before, you know, new iMacs and iPads and AirPods and everything. Uh, So this really was about services and content. And there was no hardware anywhere to be seen. Except that we did get the rainbow logo at the beginning. That was pretty cool. Uh, the the intro movie was awesome. And they, well, we all knew it was going to be about TV and movies. Right? We knew it was going to be about the original content. But they started with Apple News and specifically Apple News Plus, which is uh, a $10 a month subscription that's available now in the U.S. and Canada. It will be in Australia and the U.K. later this year. And it's Apple News, but with content from 300 magazines mixed in. So if, if you're running iOS 12.2 or there's a macOS update as well, you can now sign up and try this as a free one-month trial. So I started mine, and so I'm going to be checking this out over the next couple weeks to see if it's enough for me to use Apple News. I don't use Apple News now. But with a bunch of magazine content sort of feeding its engine, then maybe something that I am drawn to. Uh, my wife and I both use Apple News. We've done it for years now. I think it's a great kind of resource uh, to, you know, and you can get the kind of news you're interested in, you know, I mean, like I've got, in addition to the normal news, I've got news about 
I've got a news uh, list uh, about Star Wars, you know, and sure. I get the latest news on that. Um, <laughs> and as much time as we spend in it, it may be worth it for us. A nice thing about this uh, is you also get uh, free family sharing. So all my kids would be able to use it too. I don't know if we'll use it or not either. I think we're going to try it and see how we go. Mm-hmm. But one of the things they said that was interesting to me was that there have been 5 billion articles read a month through Apple Whoa, News. Oh, that's that wild. Is, that is crazy. I'd miss that. That That's hard to fathom. Yeah. But, you know, when you put it as a default app on that many iPhones, it doesn't surprise me. Yeah, it's 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 really Apple News. I feel like is a sleeper hit. Some people don't realize it's like it's everywhere. I mean, yeah. <laughs> well, it's yeah. not. It's only in the U.S. and Canada. It's a, but in the U.S. and Canada, it's widely used. I mean, how um, did they get people like the Wall Street Journal to sign in? Well, I think the five billion reads a month is probably how it happened. Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. And there, there are some big publishers not there, but a lot of big ones are. And I think that we may see uh, some more people show up if this proves to be successful for everybody. Agreed. Well, I'm going to try. I think we're both going to try that one out. Sure. And I, I wouldn't yeah. be surprised. I mean, it's free 30 days. So I just expect a lot of people to give it a try. Mm-hmm. Um, next, they went into this Apple Pay, but really that was just a transition into the Apple credit card or Apple card, as they call it. Yeah, the Apple and card. <laughs> I was surprised at how interested people were. I was in the Mac Power Users Forum. We had a kind of a thread for the event. And a lot of people were a lot more excited about the card than I than I expected, really. Yeah, uh, I th- <laughs> me too. Uh, it seemed like a lot of people were on Twitter talking about it. And uh, I saw Neil Patel, the editor-in-chief of The Verge, saying that like, in the, the hours after the keynote, that was by far the most viewed page. <laughs> was not news, not the TV stuff, but the, the card. And look, I, I'm, I'm no expert in this field. Uh, but it seems like it's, you know, in line with some other cards as far as the deals you get. It has some cool stuff in the Apple Wallet app. The reporting that you get, like the statements and stuff, seem like they're going to be really easy to understand and easy to sort of see where your money's going. But, you know, it's a credit card, and there's interest and in, in all that sort of normal stuff. But uh, I'm curious to see how this pans out. I feel like there's a lot of hype around this, and boy, I did not anticipate that going into this event. Well, I think there's a general perception, at least I have one, that most of these guys have credit cards, are looking for gotchas, and sure. kind of how to be jerks and find mm-hmm. ways to nickel and dime me. And and I've been bit in the past where like I had an auto pay that failed, and then I got charged $30. And it's just, beca- you know, it's like, it, it's you know, I guess that's a little money, but it felt like a lot of money for a dumb thing, you know? And and Apple is at least trying to make the narrative, hey, we're going to make a credit card, but we're not going to be jerks about it and mm-hmm. try and make it work for you. And I think a lot of consumers, if they can prove that, like one of the things they says, we're going to have better interest rates, but they never said what they were. <laughs> you know, So right. I don't know what that means. <laughs> yeah. What um, does that so, mean? Yeah. So, but, you know, if they can make a credit card that's not jerky, hey, maybe we'll... Uh, Maybe that'll be good for them. But it's also just weird to see Apple getting into, you know. In fact, one of the things I guess I should say about this whole event was I think anybody who follows Apple has known now for some time that services is a big part of their business. But this is like putting it out there for the whole world, saying, yeah, we make computers, but we're also a services company. And this is just one more piece of it. And I think for a lot of people, that's going to be news. Yeah, I think so, too. Um, uh, there was a vibe on, especially on Twitter today, of uh, people kind of cranky 
that Apple's doing all this other stuff and not paying attention to, you know, insert their favorite product here. But Apple's a changing company. It's a growing company. It's a different world than it was even five or six years ago. Well, these tech companies all are playing in content now. They're all playing in services now. And the truth is Apple's running out of people to sell iPhones to. That's just the truth. And the Mac and the iPad are doing what they do and they're growing. And But for Apple to continue to grow, and that's what the market cares about. You can have all the cash in the world, which they literally do, but to continue to grow, they have to move into these other areas. And, you know, the credit card, they're, they're, they're going to make money on that, no doubt. They're, they're not doing this out of the goodness of their heart, but they are doing it in a way that I think is beneficial to customers. Like if you go to the website, there's this privacy and security page where they're using things like the Face ID and Touch ID systems and the Secure Enclave the card, the physical card doesn't have any numbers on it. So like if, if someone picks it up and you dropped it in a parking lot, they don't have your credit card number. They Apple doesn't know how you're spending your money or where you're spending it or how much you're spending. And uh, the part that has to go out to Goldman Sachs, which is the bank Apple partnered with, like they can see that stuff, but Apple has bound them to not sell or share that data. And some credit card companies do mind that data, or at the very least, they know what you're doing and how much could they be trusted versus Apple. So I think a lot of people like the idea that Apple's privacy and security stance towards iOS and the phone and everything, that applied to a credit card is really, really interesting. And I think the big reason so many people seem fired up about this. I think it's interesting, you know, so for so often you'd watch an Apple event and they'd always have that segment where they talked about, you know, how the new product doesn't use, you know, bad metals and is is good for the environment. You know, that environmental slide, it felt like we we're getting that today for privacy about everything they did, you know. We're going to give you access to all these magazines, but we're not going to know what you read. You know, we're going to give you a credit card, but we're not going to know what you buy. And I think that's kind of a, that was a definite theme that ran through the entire event. It totally. And and one that's really important. And like Apple's, Apple has a good track record there. So uh, the card will be out in the U.S. only. It's going to be out uh, over the summer is what the, the website says. So, uh, you know, I, I'm definitely going to look at the fine details here. You know, my wife and I, we've got a credit card we use for some things. And if that's a better deal, it'd be interesting to check out. But um, I, I, we don't know all the details quite yet. So. Hey. And don't underestimate the the power of that cool looking credit card. Um, it's made of titanium. It's yeah, so awesome. <laughs> so people are going to see that, and you know, I, I think that's Apple knows yeah. what they're doing. Let's just my say credit that. my credit card now is like it's a plastic credit card, but there's like foil on it to make it look metal. And I saw it today. I was like, oh, you're not the real thing. <laughs> <laughs> And oh, uh, boy. people were speculating beforehand, but we didn't really know. But there is a gaming service they're putting together called Apple Arcade. Mm-hmm. I really like the name, by the way. I didn't Me hear too. that before. It's so good. Such it's, a good name. It's obvious in hindsight, but nobody... I, w- I didn't hear people talking about it beforehand, but it's a great name. And the thing I like about it is it highlights the types of games that I generally like. I usually... The games I like the most are the ones you pay for once and play without having to get coins or gold or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it it looked like really uh, interesting games they were developing for it. So I, I don't know whether or not I'll do that. I don't play. It just depends. I, I don't play that many games. So maybe it's not going to be for me, but I like what the idea of it. And I'm super curious to see how that all comes together. It's really cool. So you get 
the details here aren't fully finished. We don't have a launch date. We don't have a price for the subscription. It is a subscription. But for whatever your money a month is, you can play any of these games that are in this system. So this is not every game in the App Store. This is some exclusive club. We don't know quite how that works. Apple is clearly working with developers to make content because these games are going to be exclusive to Apple platforms. They made that point on stage. But they won't have any ads. They won't have any in-app purchases. So you pay your whatever a month and you can just play any of these games. You can sync your progress and move between your iPhone, your iPad, your Mac, your Apple TV. So Apple's pulling their platforms closer together with this. Uh, You can play offline. So unlike Google and Microsoft and some others are doing streaming services, this you can play offline. And again, it has uh, access for up to six family members. So if you're in a household like, you know, like we are, and you've got a bunch of kids that want to play games, this could be really a way, you know, potentially way cheaper than dealing with a bunch of in-app purchases all over the place. So yeah. very curious what this price is, but I think this is, this is way cooler than I thought it would be. I was very like, I don't really understand what this is. And like, they sold me in the keynote about the potential here. Yeah. And the types of games they were highlighting made the service, it made me at least want to check it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. The name is so good. Yeah. <laughs> I knew you would like it. I knew you would when, as soon as they announced it. Yeah. I mean, arcade that like, that's my roots, baby. Mm-hmm. You know, going back to Donkey Kong and discs of Tron, man, that was a game, man. If you ever find an old time arcade and find a discs of Tron game, just cash in all your dollars for quarters. Right there. D- dump some, dump some quarters in. And then we got a new Apple TV app as well. And it's interesting because it looks like they're kind of moving out of the app model for content and yes. trying to consolidate everything into the Apple TV. I'm not sure if it really came out. And maybe by the time you listen to this, it'll be well known to everyone, but we're recording just a few hours later. But like HBO and a lot of these things that are traditional apps on your Apple TV are now going into the TV app. Mm-hmm. So it's all you know redesigned and you can... You can kind of pick what third-party content you know you want and do subscriptions for HBO or Showtime or whatever. And uh, Amazon Prime Video was heavily, heavily involved in all the screenshots. Netflix, not here. Netflix is not playing yeah. ball with this new system. So um, so there's that. Um, but that's, that's not new. I mean, it's always annoyed me that you can't search Netflix outside of the Netflix app. But... You know, I guess that's their whole business model is we want you to come to Netflix and do everything there. That's that's their game. So, you know, it's and it's their choice. Sure. But Amazon Prime Video, Hulu, ESPN Plus, NBC, CBS All Access, all that stuff is going to plug into this TV app now and sort of one central place to watch everything. They actually made the comment on stage that <laughs> no more switching between apps. It's like, well, four years ago, you said the future of TV was apps. And now I guess the future of TV is the TV app. No. It's a, yeah. a shift again. It's another, yeah. it's like the fourth time Apple's reimagined their TV service. But this all feels pretty solid to me. It makes sense, though. Yeah. It does. It does. And, it's going to be followed up later this year with Apple's uh, original content, which they're calling Apple TV Plus. So again, using that plus name, like news. And this is all that content that Apple's you know paid a billion dollars for. This is where the event I, I really saw on Twitter, like the a lot of like Apple nerds, like this is where Apple lost some of us was in the uh, in yeah. this part where you have a bunch of uh, famous people on stage talking about their projects. 
I thought it was cool to see, you know, some of the some of the behind the scenes stuff of this is what we're working on. This is why we're excited about it. Oprah made a very compelling pitch at the end. She was the final guest talking about this is a huge platform, you know, with billion a billion devices. Like this is uh, an opportunity that doesn't exist anywhere else. And that's all true, but they didn't show very much of this content. Uh, very, there was no full trailer for anything. It was just snapshots of stuff. I assume that they're going to roll trailers out over the summer into the fall to get people to keep the hype level up. And, you know, we'll, we'll, we can evaluate in the fall how good this content is, but for now we just have a better idea of, of what's coming and sort of the tone of it. You know, the tone is something that is going to be good for the world. You know, there's been a lot of reports about Apple not wanting, you know, R-rated or adult-themed content. And how is that going to play against Netflix and HBO? I don't know. I, I don't know. But Apple is building the tools now in the t- in the TV app, get us used to this new layout, and then, hey, if you want all this extra content, you can pay, again, an unknown amount in the future and add this content into the TV app as well. Yeah, you know, it's funny because for me, I am not a big TV fan. You know, mm-hmm. I... I'll pick one or two shows a year and I will watch them and enjoy them, you know, but I just don't, I don't watch as much TV as some of my friends do. And, and where I'm loose with my money when it comes to app subscriptions, I'm pretty stingy about, (laughs) you know, television subscriptions because I just don't want to subscribe to a bunch of stuff that I'm never going to watch. And so this one, they're going to have to sell me on this one still. I mean, the shows looked interesting, but I'm not sure that I'm going to pay whatever it costs per month. And then of course, for me, Disney's coming out with two separate Star Wars TV shows on that Disney service. So how yeah. can you not compare them, you know, as they're oh, coming you, out? You're, you're customer, you're like customer number one for the, for the Disney service. Yeah. And even then I'm cheap. My wife, I think might get them because she works for the company. I don't know, but, Perfect. but the, yeah, we'll see, but I, I'll pay for it if I have to, but the, um, uh, but I, I'm just not sure, you know, how it's all going to play out for me, but it was cool. I like the way they did it. It was kind of fun. They turn the screen dark and then you turn it on and, and you, and you had after the first couple times you had this anticipation, like who's going to be on the screen right. next. Big, or big bird came out, right? Like- yeah. Big bird got me actually really excited. I got to admit as did JJ Abrams. That was cool too. Oh, but- the, the star power, uh, Mike and Jason have talked a lot about this on upgrade. The star power Apple has here cannot be denied. You know, they are, again, we don't know how the content's going to be, but they seem to be doing a lot of investment here that shows they're serious, right? These are some big, big names. And even in the audience, a bunch of people who weren't on stage who are known to be working on uh, Apple TV Plus projects, they're spending money. They're serious about it. And that yeah. gives me um, the willingness to give them the benefit of the doubt to check this out when it when it arrives later this year. No, and I, I think that you know you could tell that there was a lot of thought putting in the type of programming they're giving. I mean, so I, I, I'm curious too. I mean, I, but I'm probably not the person you should listen to. I can give you great advice on how to be more productive on your Mac mm-hmm. and your iOS, but as to what TV shows to watch, uh, I don't know. Uh, what do you feel, to, to wrap this up, there's always conversation in these type of events that, um, I said it earlier, you know, Apple's not paying attention to you know, insert favorite product here. And and I wonder what your take is on that. You know, do you see Apple doing this other thing and do you feel frustrated that they aren't focusing on what used to be their core products or because kind of what's your, what's your, your temperature on that? I I think first of all, 
Twitter isn't real. Okay. That's true. <laughs> you have to accept that. I mean, because you see that complaint on Twitter. Like those two guys that they hired to put together Apple TV Plus, I think they came from Jason Snell would know, but I think they came from like HBO or, or one of the big networks. And they've got this track record of making these successful shows. Those guys were never going to make your Mac Pro for you. You know? Right. Neither was Aquaman. Aquaman had nothing to do with your Mac Pro. You know, Ooh, so if he was, it'd be a liquid cooled machine, though. <laughs> yeah, it would. It's it interesting. Would. But so I, I feel like you know, there's a whole division of the company that exists now that didn't exist before to make this stuff, and um, those that is completely separate from what's happening on your Mac Pro. And um, you know, I've been very vocal that I think that they're not putting enough effort into the iPad operating system to k- mm-hmm. keep up with the hardware. I don't think anything they announced today is holding that up, you know. No. And um, and like the the walk and chew gum complaint against Apple is very common to say, but but the context of that is the um, the thing you use programmers for. Like you say, well, these guys can't at the same time upgrade the iPhone to do this X and update the iPad to do Y. Cause it's the same group of men and women programmers, uh, that are the skill base that are creating those features. Whereas this is something entirely different. It's just like the people who are designing the hypothetical car have nothing to do with the person making the, the, the Mac pro. So I think you got to keep that straight in your head. You know, when they do something that's out in left field, I'm sure that's a certain loss of focus from company management, but I don't think that's what's holding back the feature X, Y, or Z that you want on your iPad. How about you? I, t- I totally agree with you. I, th- I think that's spot on. I think it's easy to think that Apple still does a really small company it once was, but they're not. They're big. And yeah, maybe, sure, you know, if if Tim Cook is thinking a lot about this, maybe he's not thinking a lot about the Mac Pro, but that doesn't matter because the company's so big that other people are thinking about it and and working on it. Yeah, and if we're relying on Tim Cook to come up with the next killer iPad feature, we're in trouble already. You know, I would say that even more so than like the Mac or iPad debate, like if some of the stuff isn't for you, like some of the stuff probably isn't for me, like, again, I don't play a lot of games. And so Apple Arcade is like really interesting from what they're doing with their platforms, but I'm not going to use it. I'm not, I'm not going to sign up for it because I don't have, and that doesn't meet any needs that I have, but I'm really glad it exists for people who's needs it does meet right so just because someone you know i might not be interested in this or you may not be interested in that doesn't mean it's it's not worth apple exploring and in the modern age tech companies are doing more and more of this and so it yeah. keeps them competitive with amazon and netflix and these other companies that you know they need to have an answer to it and like we said earlier services is how apple continues to grow so it makes sense from that perspective as well well, just like Twitter's angry that they're doing this extra stuff. If they weren't doing it, there'd be a whole other group on Twitter that'd be angry about that. So don't don't worry about it. Okay. Well, hey, we covered a lot today. Um, hope, hopefully, you got some cool Mac App Store knowledge and app recommendations, and got some thoughts on all of Apple streaming services. And we had a live murder, so I don't know how it gets better. <laughs> Can't promise that one next week. Yeah. Now I'm just really curious what sort of wildlife situation you're going to be in. You have to come to my house at some point and I'll, I'll take you on a hike. Okay. I mean, we, um, let's see. So like I have been, I made reference into last week's show, but I did actually get chased by a skunk once. And, uh, that was fun. And, uh, there, there was mountain lions a couple of years ago. There was a famous mountain lion attack in Southern California. It was very close to my house. 
So there's, I'll, I'll take you on a hike. We'll go out there. I'm not sure I want to go now. <laughs> two, two, two of us will go out. Maybe two of us will come back. <laughs> you got to find another new co-host. All right. Uh, thanks to our sponsors. That's our friends over at 1Password, Gazelle, Luna Display, and Away. And we'll see you all next week.